Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Josh Clementi, founder of Levels and previously at SpaceX and Hyperloop. Levels is a company that's helping people maximize their metabolic health. And in this episode, we go through what that actually means for people on a tangible level why he started this company, what his experience at SpaceX taught him and how that led to this company with Levels, how he's built a world-class team, gotten a wait list of 45,000 plus people, the competitive landscape in this space, and really what's been helpful for Josh as he's been building this company, which recently closed a $12 million seed round led by Andreessen Horwitz, one of the top venture capital firms in the world, and so much more discussed in this episode. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pivot CMO. Whether you're a startup and you've just launched your product or a larger business, accelerate your growth with performance marketing solutions from our partner, Pivot CMO. They specialize in performance marketing solutions that have helped countless companies double or even triple in the first few months of working with them. They're boutique, extremely data-driven, and launch and iterate quickly. 84% of their clients double their revenue, and they're focused on digital marketing channels like Facebook and Instagram, Google, Pinterest, and of course, TikTok. Their founders are involved with every account, so you don't get a low-level account manager, but instead a highly skilled and experienced outsourced CMO. They've helped a number of Y Combinator and venture-backed companies along with Fortune 500 companies. So no matter the size or stage of your company, use Pivot to help with all of your marketing and growth needs. To book a consultation, visit pivotcmo.com. That's P-I-V-O-T-C-M-O.com. Without further ado, here's Josh Clementi, founder of Levels, which you can find at levelshealth.com. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, excited to chat, and uh, especially with the company that you're you're at now with Levels that you started. And for people who aren't familiar, what are you doing with Levels? So Levels is seeking to answer the question, what should I eat and why? And to do so in a way that pulls data from you, the individual, and gives it to you in a way that uh, helps you navigate these lifestyle choices we're all making daily. So this is a, a process that we call metabolic fitness, which is that... Um, our, our bodies, which derive energy from our food and environment through processes called metabolism, um, need to be uh, directed. We, we need to be giving the raw materials to our bodies that will best support our individual uh, genetics or our individual composition. And so the way that we do this today is through internet advice or what worked for a friend or uh, maybe something that we heard, you know, on a TV commercial. And the way that we see the future with levels is uh, your body will tell you what works for you and you can um, iterate towards an optimal set of lifestyle behaviors. I love how far we've come from, I feel like just the early days of like Tim Ferriss being a guinea pig on some of these things that are way early on and people are curious about some of the the kind of quantified self-movement and the number of companies that have come up uh, with Levels obviously being one of them now. I'm curious though, then how did you decide to start this company, Josh? So I came to the realization uh, basically through my own personal experience discovering uh, that I had some underlying metabolic dysfunction. And the, the process was I, I was working at SpaceX on life support systems and uh, I'm a CrossFit trainer. So I, I've always taken physical fitness very seriously. And it was the closest approximation of, of health, in my opinion. You know, it was like, if you're physically fit, you're probably healthy. And, and so that's how I lived my life. And yet I was, you know, basically taking on the most stressful part of my career to date and experiencing a lot of general fatigue. So waves of physical and mental kind of overwhelming sense of um, malaise, you know, the the desire to just kind of curl up under the desk and go to sleep rather than go into the next meeting or go perform the next, uh, you know, lab test or whatever it was we were working on. And this kind of all came into focus around the same time that I read a piece of work from uh, Dom Diagostino, who's a researcher at the University of South Florida, which talked about the ketogenic diet and how it has protective effects on um, animals and potentially humans in certain 
life-threatening environments. And the reason I was reading this is I was developing life support systems that could potentially, in a failure mode, um, you know, subject astronauts to this uh, environment. And so that that study, which talked about the ketogenic diet, which I can I can dive into a bit if it's useful. But generally, it, what it did is it shattered my perception that physical fitness was all that mattered, and it told me that dietary interventions can also come with ultimately what comes down to dramatic physiologic changes in the human body. And so realizing, wow, there's, there's a lot more to health or there's a lot more to physical performance than just exercise, um, pushed me to start digging into what, what am I doing every day to improve my health? You know, how am I selecting the meals I'm eating? How am I selecting my sleep schedule? Uh, how am I managing, you know, stress or all of the factors that make up human metabolism. And I came up totally blank. Like I was, I use data in basically every part of my life. And I realized I'm not using any information, any objective data in my decisions daily. Um, and so ultimately I started reading up on, on the space, discovered, uh, this kind of hidden metabolic health crisis where, you know, just one statistic that kind of wraps it all up is in 2018, a study from Uni University of North Carolina showed that 88% of United States America or adults are metabolically unhealthy. And so it's, it's absolutely epidemic scale. And I didn't know about this as I'm digging deeper into the literature, I'm getting more concerned <laughs> that maybe something's going on with me. And then ultimately I tried a device called a continuous glucose monitor, which if anyone listens to, to Tim Ferriss or Kevin Rose, you'll, you'll likely have heard about yeah. these devices. And within about a week, I discovered that I was either pre-diabetic or borderline pre-diabetic and had no idea if not for just kind of stumbling on this experiment. And, and so the, um, that basically changed my life. I used that same data to not only understand the problems that were happening that I was basically inflicting on myself through my own lifestyle choices, but I was then able to modify them through kind of a trial and error process. And this took hundreds of hours of digging through primary literature to understand what I was looking at. And uh, the realization kind of crystallized that access to this technology and improving the actionability of it could be the key that gives the individual the ability to make improvements every day towards metabolic health. And, and so uh, rather than trying to solve this problem at a social scale with, uh, you know, legislature or a one size fits all diet, we can make the individual the prime actor by just giving them better information in real time. With that as well, Josh, I know this obviously came from your kind of personal experience. What were some of the changes you made, you know, pre doing all this research, hundreds of hours research, then post kind of understanding more about this and some of the things you could do? I mean, what were some of those changes you made? I'm curious as to that as well. Well, I started off, you know, when, when I was really burning out physically, you know, I was in this, like I said, this very stressful kind of vicious cycle where um, work was crazy. I was squeezing in sleep wherever I could. It was not high quality. I was eating whatever I could get my hands on, which, you know, I, I was trying to avoid fast food, for example, but I, I certainly didn't have any sort of um, sophistication in, in my diet at that time. Um, and, and, and so I, I went from that mode to um, the, the, the realization that in order to take action that I could trust, I needed uh, a feedback loop. Like I needed to, I, right now I was flying blind in a sense. And, and so at that time I, I was really just following traditional sports science. You know, it's like I, I would work out and then I would fuel up or replenish glycogen if, if it, you know, which is basically stored carbohydrate in the body, um, you know, by eating a large portion of low glycemic carbohydrates. And, and I just had all these ideas swirling in my mind that I was putting into, into practice. And then when I put this device on and had a real-time feedback loop from basically the sugar in my blood. So this is a glucose monitor that is, it's measuring uh, the molecule glucose in, in the bloodstream. And as I start to see the fluctuations in glucose, I realize that everything is contextual. So I personally respond differently to a specific meal than likely everyone else. And yeah. the way that I eat that meal, the stress levels that I'm experiencing at that time, how well rested I am, my body composition, all of this affects the way I ultimately process that food. And so some of the biggest lessons I learned almost immediately were the difference between a five hour night of sleep and a nine hour night of sleep is dramatic. So my body is in an elevated stress environment when I get that shorter night of sleep. 
And stress introduces uh, what's called acute insulin resistance, which basically means the hormone insulin, which responds to glucose and helps uh, pull it out of the blood and, and move it into the muscles or, or store it as fat, is hampered. The effect of that insulin is hampered when we are in an elevated stress scenario. And this is due to the action of a, another hormone called cortisol. So when you sleep poorly, cortisol levels are higher, the effect of insulin is reduced, and what you see is extended elevations in blood sugar or erratic blood sugar. And that comes with a whole host of other hormonal experiences, which, you know, this can be irritability, it can be hunger, it can be insatiable, uh, you know, desire to just keep snacking. It, all of the things that we experience, you know, as <laughs> throughout our day as like quality of life problems, we can now kind of tie to specific actions, which are poor sleep. And then, you know, the, the benefit of a little bit of activity. So another huge lesson I learned was that if I am going to indulge and eat a meal that I know is going to cause a blood sugar elevation and potentially a lot of variability and crashes, which come with all these downstream effects, simple movement, like just taking a walk after that meal, um, can dramatically improve the way my body can metabolize that. So preventing that blood sugar elevation by using the glucose directly in my muscles, in my legs, uh, for a quick walk can com completely change that, that meal effect. So all of these little lessons, you know, they're, they're kind of like micro optimizations started to become very immediately clear because the feedback loop is so tight. It's basically like, this is not something that, you know, you, you try for 30 days and then, you know, 30 days later you get a result or a week later you get a PDF. It's in the moment you eat something and within an hour you've seen how your body responds with data. So you get it directly to your smartphone and it's telling you directionally whether that was positive or negative for you and for your goals. And so that the tightness of that feedback loop makes it almost irresistibly sticky in the sense that th that data is like, it, it embeds itself quickly in, in your psyche and then it's habitual. So you're, you're getting reinforcement, either positive or negative, depending on the action daily. And, and that, that is how I personally like started to reinforce these behaviors and start to embrace sleep and embrace stress management and, uh, you know, embrace more activity more often through the day rather than uh, just trying to like get it all in, in a 90 day or a 90 minute workout in the morning or in the evening, you know, spreading it out throughout the day and getting a, a bit more steps in more often, for example. And then the nutrition component, which is just like, you know, adjusting my, my dietary factors dramatically. Yeah. And I was just going to say like on that note, it, it is interesting you mentioned that because a lot of us kind of typically would think in that way of, oh, I did my workout in the morning and I'm literally going to sit at a computer for the next like 14 hours, you know, like, that's yeah. just not great exactly. right? for, for anyone. And I'm curious just to, just to go back to this. Cause I, I guess it's, I never really heard about it. I never really talked about that much. The working environment at SpaceX when you were there, just, I mean, I can imagine it's just so, so difficult, so challenging, so competitive because of what inherently SpaceX is, SpaceX is doing. What were you I mean, how much were you sleeping back then? Like, take me through like what a day kind of typically was like, even just for, for context, for people understand, mm -hmm. you know, where you were getting burnt out. I would love to hear more just about what that was like. Yeah. So, um, during my time at SpaceX, there were, there would be kind of peaks and valleys in the amount required. And it kind of depends on the project you're working on and the immediacy of the, the milestone. But generally SpaceX is made up of a tremendous number of people who, do not like to fail. They're intensely competitive about success. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it breeds uh, a competitive environment where, um, you know, everyone wants to be carrying their load and more. Um, so what it came, what it comes out to is for periods of time, um, you know, at, at one point I went close to three years without taking a weekend off. So I worked every weekend straight through for almost three years and was not in the minority there. That was like the, the standard approach and working, on average, 12 hour days. So then, then there were periods of time where it would be even more, you know, extreme where like the milestone is immediate. Um, we're essentially going 24 seven and sleeping in shifts essentially to, to make sure whatever that, um, program is, it, it meets the schedule need. And this might be like running a test campaign. It might be preparing a vehicle for launch that, um, you know, comes with a, a very large contract and payment that would keep the company afloat. So very high stakes. And, uh, yeah, at times I would, I would sleep at work or I would sleep in my truck and, um, or crash at a friend's house right down the street on the couch. And, and so that, you know, this was kind of like 
again, it wasn't consistent throughout the entirety of my, of my time at SpaceX. And of course, as the company has grown, this is, this is definitely improved as people can kind of share the load. But yeah. um, certainly during the, the time frame that I'm describing, we, we were going, we were preparing for a critical design review for a very um, significant program at, uh, for the company. And um, so it's a lot of like taking on that personal accountability and saying, this is serious, we've got to succeed and wanting to lead from the front and be a good example for the whole team on, on how we should, you know, how much heart and soul we have to put in this. And so I was definitely pushing myself very hard and sleeping you know, honestly, four to five hours. And, um, really I would be eating meals at, at midnight in some cases. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was very erratic and did not kind of respect the circadian evolution that our bodies kind of developed under. So just totally throwing schedule and routine out the window and replacing it with whatever we could fit in at that time. And this was meals, this was exercise, this was sleep. And so all of the factors that go into a, a good lifestyle were kind of, um, you know, in some sense were compromised. So it, it's looking back, it's, it's no surprise, um, certainly for those stretches of time that we were pushing that hard, that things were <laughs> erratic. But without a good appreciation for the fact that those factors matter so much, without having some sort of data to point to, it's very easy to dismiss these these sorts of things, right? It's easy to say, um, you know, as long as I as long as I eat the right number of calories, I'll be fine. Or as long as I get, you know, as long as I don't feel super tired in the morning compared to yesterday, I probably got enough sleep. Um, th those sorts of just like kind of heuristic, like hand wavy assumptions are being made every day. We're kind of living our lives based on emotion rather than on objective fact. And so uh, that's what was missing was like, I just didn't have a, a, a compass to tell me like whether <laughs> I'm every day I'm earning negative interest on my life or positive interest, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I wanted to have that context with people because I think it's important to have have that as you're looking forward to what you are now building and how you've gone about this. And doing the research then, the hundreds of hours of research into this issue to obviously solve it for yourself initially, but knowing it's there's a much bigger issue around for many people, what are some of the first things you did to really make this into an actual company then? Because it's one thing to do the research for yourself and then, okay, like you adjust some things, but really making to make levels. How have you gone about this in the early days? Well, for, for one thing, I, uh, so I, I decided to move on from SpaceX after we got through that um, critical design review. And I worked for a year at Hyperloop on, uh, on their very first um, infrastructure scale system, which is a, it's a basically a high-speed magnetic levitation train. So I, I worked on that project for a year. And during that time is when I was really experimenting myself. So I had first gotten the continuous glucose monitor and I was using it to try to, you know, and digging into the research on the side in my extra time to, to better understand the subject matter. And essentially after a year at Hyperloop, I had sufficient awareness of the value proposition of this new technology and the potential for society to, to really help the individual take control that I, I decided, you know, this is what I want to work on. You know, this has changed my life dramatically. And if it can change me, cause I was fairly set in my ways and I was convinced that I was doing <laughs> things right. You know, I've never, I've never had a, a problem with weight gain. You know, I generally like people, my doctor, for example, told me that I look really healthy. So that's what, again, that's what I was using as my, my yardstick for health. Now I had a new um, a, a, a better metric based on objective data from my body. And I, and it had completely changed my approach. And so that example of having gone through it myself just basically told me that there's a huge amount of potential here. And so I decided to leave Hyperloop and focus on this full time. Um, so I, I, I quit, I started to, to do some consulting work and I, I worked on a little startup idea on the side, but my thoughts were consumed with bringing this technology to life. And, um, so I spent a lot of time just again, researching, writing, writing down notes on the, um, the state of metabolism globally, essentially, and the state of the technology and where the white space was. So essentially where are the opportunities to, um, you know, take what's, what exists, which is this amazing hardware and add the components that will bring it to a new audience that will make it accessible and actionable for people who may not otherwise think twice about this. So uh, after about a year of research and writing down business 
plans. And, and then I, I did also write a white paper. Um, it became clear that it's time to, to bring on a team. And, you know, it's, I'd kind of reached the point where uh, I, as an individual, couldn't push this any further and needed to force multiply. And, and so I, I was able to convince my, my good friend, Sam Corcos to join me as co-founder and we launched Levels and immediately started to focus on the two key problems, which were build a world-class team because this problem is sufficiently large in scale and scope that we need not a team, we need the team that will bring this to yeah. life. And then second, secondary to that, um, start testing our assumptions, you know, get a proof of concept prototype out there and begin to get feedback from, from real people who are living real lives. So that, that was kind of the step one and two. Yeah. And on that note then with the team side to build, you know, world-class team solving this problem, how have you gone about that? How have you pursued the top people and then be able to convince them to join you on the startup? Well, you know, judging from my, my time at SpaceX, people, the exceptional people love an exceptional challenge. So it's um, the work or what constitutes the work can be exactly the same at one organization to another, uh, you know, the day to day, for example. But the, the culture is grounded in the mission and the mission is grounded in the problem you're solving. So we had the benefit of a tremendous and immediate problem. So it's very rare for someone to say that they've never been touched by metabolic dysfunction. You may not not, not quite understand, uh, you know, most people may not understand the term metabolism, but we all know what diabetes is and heart disease. We know what Alzheimer's is, which is called type three diabetes these days. We know what cancer is. All of these have grounding in metabolic dysfunction. And so uh, once we were able to start to tell the story of how dramatic and how widespread this problem is, and then also the decentralization possibilities with this new technology, the ability to empower the individual and give them direct insight into how to make better choices every single day and trend towards optimization. You know, this, this problem space really opened up. And, um, and so just basically reaching into our networks and starting to have conversations with people we, we know and trust and, uh, and respect started that whole process. And, and we were able to very quickly get a pipeline of exceptional people who, um, just embrace the idea and understand the potential without really having to, um, we, we didn't even have a proof of concept at that time, you know, so our, we, we brought together a, a founding team of five people, all with, uh, technical, but varied skill sets. Casey means my co-founder, she's a former surgeon from Stanford, uh, and functional medicine doctor, uh, David and Andrew, both exceptionally skilled Google employees who have, have built platforms there and built technologies that are in use by, by millions of people. Um, and, and then Sam and I, so amongst the five of us, we, we had sufficient scope of capability that we could really start to take on the, you know, the, the chunks, the bite-sized chunks of, of building a proof of concept, getting it out there, getting real customers. And that kind of set the flywheel in motion where uh, additional um, interests started to form. And we were able to really have a, a pool of, of, of interested talent who wanted to join us. And it's been extraordinarily been, you know, beneficial and, and I think rewarding to, uh, to be a part of thus far, how quickly that all came together. Yeah, and I, I want to double click on the the product side. So obviously the the team side, building the world class team so you can develop this is is step one. Uh, but then you said having this product, this proof of concept. What did that look like, or what does that look like for you at Levels? So the core technology, the continuous glucose monitor, is a device that was developed for the management of diabetes. And essentially diabetes is when blood sugar control is lost because of either your body stops producing insulin, which is called type one diabetes, or you uh, develop whole body insulin resistance, which is type two diabetes. And so this technology, it, it's, it's key for people with diabetes to have a, an immediate understanding of their blood sugar levels so that they can work to control them. Um, so for decades, blood sugar monitoring tech has been uh, iterated on and moved from the lab to the doctor's office and then ultimately uh, out into the, you know, essentially a, a consumerizable product, which is um, this, this little device that you wear on your arm or on your abdomen. And it's sampling using a little filament in the skin. It's sampling glucose in the blood in real time and sending that information wirelessly to a device like a smartphone. So that tech exists. Now, where we were focusing is the interface between that device, the raw data it produces, and behavior change. 
So ultimately what we want is to inspire people with their own data to make better choices. And that is a user journey. So that's an experience that has to be insightful and educational. And so we're focusing on the that that whole software experience and developing the insights engine that brings in raw data and provides scores and metrics that are trackable, traceable, and educational for the individual. So making this more of a, you know, a Fitbit of biological data, for example. Um, and, and so the proof of concept was get people access to the hardware that exists today and then essentially text them back and forth via, you know, SMS text and learn about what, what, what are their problems? Like you're using this device, you see something counterintuitive or intuitive and a light bulb goes off or a, a question mark pops up. And so people were just texting us like, I would love to know more about this, or I don't understand this, or, you know, this is shocking. I can't believe this is happening. And so we were able to really just converse in real time using the, the core tech, the hardware, and then helping us kind of architect a user journey and that we could build an app around. And so uh, that's, that was the first step. And then of course, from there, we're, we're iterating to build backend insight engines that can, uh, you know, create magic moments that you would otherwise miss. Like it's not up to the customer anymore to identify uh, something interesting. It's now we can surface those proactively. And one of the things you mentioned with that as well, the educational component and, and writing about this and educating uh, customers on what this even is and what they can do. How do you look at that on the educational piece? What type of content you want to create around this? And how do you use that to, to get people interested? And uh, I heard you have a massive wait list for this as well. How have you gone about that? Yeah, I mean, another key uh, mission for the company is to raise awareness about the metabolic dysfunction epidemic. So uh, that is in and of itself a goal. And in order to do that, we've developed a, a content platform. So right now it's our blog. But um, if you go to our blog, you'll see a lot of very long form, extremely rigorously referenced articles that describe the ways in which metabolic dysfunction manifests. And I kind of mentioned some of these at the, at the, you know, earlier on in the conversation, but they go well beyond the, the standard, you know, diabetes and, and cardiovascular disease. Uh, metabolic dysfunction can manifest all the way through to skin wrinkling, weight gain, PCOS, which is the number one cause of infertility in women, mood disorders. Uh, I, I mentioned Alzheimer's is being called type three uh, diabetes. There are a tremendous number of labels that we apply to what is ultimately metabolic dysfunction. And so we are building the, the thought leadership platform that really brings all of this together and educates people who want to learn more about the way their bodies function, about all of these processes and how it may be affecting them and their goals. So um, that's been a core focus. And Casey, has my, my co-founder, has been leading that effort. And uh, essentially, we will continue to produce content for content's sake. Essentially, we, we want to be a platform for educating everyone uh, on the this underlying crisis and then the ways that we can take control and uh, and so success there is success generally and of course that's that's it's complementary to our product that we're building and people who go to our blog and really dive in and understand oh wow like this makes so much sense there, there is so much here that you know people kind of intuitively feel uh, that they are unique and respond differently than others, and that you you know you're not just kind of this calories in calories out machine, but in fact you are a chemistry set, and the way that our hormones are responding to other chemicals in our bodies will will create an environment that we experience as sensations like hunger and anger and frustration or uh, clarity, and uh, all of these experiences start to kind of crystallize. So that content platform has been tremendously successful thus far, and that waitlist you mentioned. It's now close to 50,000 people and it's, uh, you know, that's basically without marketing. So our, our efforts have been focused on content and product and, um, you know, just publishing through our blog and through our Instagram. And there's so much organic traction because, uh, I think this really speaks to people on, on that deep personal level and, and in an intuitive way that, um, I think many products may, may not be able to hit because it's, um, it's that real time biological information as opposed to kind of a one size fits all approach. Yeah, and that fifty thousand waitlist. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. I had uh, someone on recently who also had a, a similar thing with their business as well, where they have thousands of people on this waitlist as mm -hmm. a as a way to kind of grow. And you know, you can use that as you as you move forward with the business in terms of getting feedback and everything as well. But from that, I mean, I, I'm just diving a little bit deeper on the content side. Then, I mean, how often are you creating 
blog posts or guides or other things on on your site? And how do you look at you know what topics around this to dive into deeper versus just educating people a little bit higher level? Like, how do you think through that, Josh? Well, you know, it's there's a fascinating array of opportunity here. So, the basically we're all on this spectrum of metabolic fitness. Um, you know, from the person who is trying to lose a huge amount of weight to get back on track to the elite athlete who is trying to shave a few seconds off a hundred mile time, our bodies are producing energy in the same way through metabolism. And so that just the broadness of that landscape allows us to both, uh, originally, you know, develop content ourselves from the raw research that's out there on metabolism in the academic environment all the way through to cross collaborations with other individuals, for example, um, athletic trainers, athletes, individuals who have been working in, in the ketogenic diet space or the plant-based space forever. Um, and so they can each tell their story in a unique way. And so our approach has been, you know, publishing at least two to three articles on the blog per week and distributing them through our other channels. And then just generally, um, raising, a, you know, raising the signal, of metabolism broadly. So this could be through podcasts like, you know, just like this, telling the story of metabolism and, and getting people to start thinking, you know, about uh, maybe moving beyond the concepts of just physical fitness and mental health to the underlying foundation of them, which is metabolic fitness. You know, our bodies and brains, our muscles and brain tissue need energy in order to operate. And without effective metabolic processes producing that energy, we can't meet our, our performance goals in either in either uh, of those two verticals without metabolic fitness. And so, um, you know, it's been about kind of a holistic multi-platform approach to just raising the awareness about metabolism, broadly speaking. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where we've, we've, you know, our goals have been to hit that publishing cadence and it's really kind of produced this, this flywheel effect and more opportunity kind of comes almost organically where, um, you know, for example, we've, we've had a few collaborations with other companies, you know, for example, a, a sleep startup or a company producing, per, uh, you know, ketogenic diet, um, products like bars that provide low glycemic impacts. You don't see these big blood sugar elevations. And so we can, we can start to explain the science behind other products and people can test them for them for themselves and see the benefits, you know, of a full night's sleep, um, versus, you know, in, and see the benefits of one product that is formulated for a low glycemic impact for, versus another that kind of advertises the same effect, but may not actually deliver on it. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really trying to kind of cut through a lot of the advertising noise out there and just provide <laughs> clear signal on like, th this is what's ultimately happening and you can confirm through for yourself through this product. And, and that I think is what's generating all of the, the organic demand. Yeah, I mean, being leaders in the space uh, is one of those things that's going to happen when people are finding information. And it's like constantly going to, okay, it's levels. You're finding it on levels over and over again. It's like, well, okay, they're obviously a leader in this, and people then want to join forces mm -hmm. uh, as well with that. And I'm curious, though, is there, what does the competition, the kind of you know, competitive landscape look like then for you guys right now? Well, we're in a, we're in a nascent space. So we're, we're really opening a new market where uh, traditionally this is entirely, uh, medical or therapeutic, you know, the devices are used for, uh, once you've been diagnosed with diabetes and we're, we're essentially redefining what it is, um, to be metabolically fit and, and how you get there. So, uh, kind of like using the technology, but then also saying like, there, there isn't this binary scenario where you're either normal or you're unhealthy. It's actually that again, you're on a spectrum and every person can be making choices that can be trending further and further away from optimal or closer and closer to it. Yeah. I mean, like the, the next step in, in what we're trying to accomplish is I think moving beyond just a, a device that is responsive to your inputs. So, you, you know, you are, you're adding information, you're logging your lifestyle and then getting uh, feedback thereafter and closer to a device that learns your patterns and behaviors and provides proactive insights. So, um, that, that process, you know, is, is really, I think separate from anything we've seen thus far. There are a few organizations out there, which, um, you know, to name a few super sapiens, which is, uh, you know, they're, they're focusing on triathletes. So helping athletes who are trying to fuel for extreme endurance events, um, helping them to navigate fueling timing. So like making sure that you don't run out of energy 
in the midst of a, a hill climb in, in the Tour de France, for example. Uh, and then there's another company called January.ai, which is working on uh, kind of the therapeutic end of things. So as you're, I think, trending more towards dysfunction, uh, get getting kind of more education there and helping guide back towards towards optimal. So, um, you know, lots of stuff happening, and these are both great companies doing great things. But I think the the core benefit of Levels is that we don't really um, we don't zero in on any subgroup. What we're saying is yeah. that everyone out there has a metabolism and has an opportunity to improve, and our technology today can help you get there through. Uh, your, your own just logging of your lifestyle behaviors. And in the future, no matter who you are, we will be able to reach out to you and help guide your lifestyle choices proactively um, towards betterment, whether that's, again, an athlete or someone who is uh, looking to kind of step out on a new path in life. With all of this, and, and they're doing some incredible work, obviously, and hours and hours of research and, and assembled really a high quality team to be able to pull this off. But I don't think you've been, I mean, you've been at Hyperloop and SpaceX and all these other kind of uh, either startups or big companies, but in terms of running the company yourself as a founder, what's been most helpful for you personally as to, the, you know, how to guide a team, how to lead, lead this, this company, what's been helpful for you? Well, you know, we're, we're all in kind of a, a strange environment in the world today. You know, obviously with COVID it's, it's very much transformed the working environment, at least for now. And so Levels is a remote organization um, by default. We've been remote since before COVID. And a few of the things that, uh, you know, I've learned as someone who has previously worked in hardware engineering, where being uh, close and in person is really key to getting your iteration times shortened as much as possible, especially when you're working with hardware where, you know, it's, it's quite challenging to crank out multiple iterations rapidly. Uh, that's been my historic experience. So now at Levels, you know, I'm realizing the potential of this um, asynchronous environment to really allow kind of the opposite of what I experienced at SpaceX. So we can now provide a working environment where people can be extremely effective and yet they can live a very balanced lifestyle. Um, so meeting the needs of the individual, allowing them to live where they want, uh, you know, have a, a schedule that fits their own desires, whether it's getting up and, and going climbing in the morning or spending time with, uh, you know, your, your significant other and, and your, your children in the evening, whatever it may be, but just helping us to, um, you know, create an environment that supports what we're describing or what we're, what we're putting out into the world. You know, metabolic health is the sum of our, our decisions daily. And, and we want our people on the team to be able to experience that for themselves and reinforce it. So, um, Several of the, the things that have been most valuable for me and just great lessons learned is that is the value of transparency, um, A, to attract exceptional people and then to retain a, a culture of exceptionalism. And, and so in, a, in an environment where you are not, you know, kind of seeing each other and you're not relying on kind of the osmotic, the, the osmosis uh, kind of information exchange like you do in, in an in-office environment where it's like, well, everyone's going to kind of talk to each other at the lunch table <laughs> or run into each other and you can just kind of rely on information to spread that way. You have to be very intentional about it in the asynchronous environment. So you, you, you really, we, we have to document rigorously um, and we have to distribute rigorously and make information not just uh, generate it and put it out into the, the ether, you know, into a Slack channel where it might disappear, <laughs> but make it searchable, you know, make it relevant so that anyone who is joining the team or anyone who is looking for context can find that information and can feel up to speed. So uh, that's been key. There's so many great tools out now that, that really help this. You know, we use Notion uh, quite, quite a bit, and that's really helpful as a, a platform to host our information. Um, and then we use a lot of collaborative stuff with Google Docs and just generally keeping everything as flat in the information exchange as possible and encouraging complete transparency, you know, getting rid of DMs as much as possible. So side exchanges between people and direct emails and, and exchanging it for a chat environment where anyone can see it and be up to speed. It really helps both with, again, that, that like feeling of being on top of, of what's happening in the company. And then also it bolsters morale because you can see the pace of progress across all departments. And so rather than, you know, maybe having a tough week yourself where you were struggling on a problem and didn't really have a breakthrough uh, and feeling like, you know, maybe a bit dejected, you can then see that across the company, the net progress was really powerful and fast. And, and so it, it can help just kind of even out the bumps in the road for, for folks who, again, aren't spending every day together. 
And one of the things we haven't discussed yet that I want to definitely talk about, especially because other people listening are going to go through a similar thing, is the fundraising side of it. How has that gone for you? How have you approached funding this company? Uh, I'd be really curious to hear more about that. Yeah. So when we were starting off on the prototype phase um, that I discussed earlier, just the proof of concept phase, we also started to raise some money from angels primarily. And, um, you know, we, we did that through, through network. So, uh, Sam is extremely, he, he's a multi-time founder. He's very well connected and had a lot of angels who would be interested in, in something like this. So we started up conversations, uh, you know, got them to try the product and, and we were able to put together about a million dollars over the course of uh, six months on a safe note. And, and so that kind of kicked us off and it got us to the point where we could, um, start again, building the team and building the, the product. And then over time we've been, we've done a few, uh, well, really, we did a an ongoing safe round where we brought in additional strategic and angel money. And then just this past week, we closed our seed raise, which we're going to be formally announcing uh, sometime in the next few days. I think uh, we're, we're just kind of putting the finishing touches on that press announcement. And, and so that seed raise is going to be, um, you know, the next phase of the company. So bringing in the capital that we need to uh, go from the beta program where we're invitation only and, and uh, sort of availability limited to uh, moving into phase one of growth and uh, expanding availability, expanding the potential and the the insights that the product is producing, and then also starting to to really take on acquisition and um, you know rather than relying on just strictly organic, also focusing on understanding our channels, understanding our sourcing, and um, and so those are the you know the the pace that we we took <laughs> was very intentional about raising money early on, and then uh, as the the signal for the company increased, we were able to. Um, kind of take a rely on the product and, and its and its merits to bring in attention and people who see I think the the organic testimonials really want to support a business like us and, and we're very you know we've been very lucky and grateful to work with some some great people in the investment space as well. Yeah, and one of the things I brought up earlier that the context around you know the environment at SpaceX and just in terms of how you were working and kind of what schedule was like and everything there. It's because I want to talk about it now of your your current day to day and how you look at things now. Obviously, we're in an interesting environment with with the pandemic and work from home and everything. But how do you structure your day now, understanding the aspects of sleep, of working out, and everything like that? Like, I'd be curious to know, you know, mm-hmm. a day in the life. Obviously, entrepreneurs have very varied days in terms of yeah. what uh, quote unquote normal day it could be different every day. But like, just take me through what that looks like for you now. Yeah. Uh, so now I I pay a lot of attention to. Um, to that, that physical exercise component still. And I I think that, so just to kind of walk through it, you know, I I try to get at least eight hours of sleep every night. And, um, I've noticed an exceptionally strong correlation between both mood and metabolic control as it relates to sleep. And, and the sweet spot for me is about seven and a half hours. If I get more than that, I'm really feeling good. Generally, I've struggled a bit with quality of sleep. I'm still trying to nail that down. But overall, I, you know, definitely trying to get eight hours of sleep. And, um, you know, the next thing is just making space for morning workouts. So, you know, as with most people, if I put my, my workouts towards the end of the day, there are two, two things to consider. The first is that, um, it's the first thing to get bumped off the schedule when something (laughs) runs long and we all, we've all experienced this. It's like, um, you know, as soon as something of higher priority comes up, the workout gets lost. And for me, the, the exercise is still like one of the main accountability metrics for me. So I have to get that in, in the morning. And the second benefit is that if I do it in the morning, it doesn't affect my sleep as much. So my heart rate's not elevated. I'm not, you know, kind of flooded with endorphins right when I'm trying to wind down and go to sleep. So I will, I'll get up, um, get a workout in. I'll then, uh, typically will not eat until, uh, afternoon. So I'll, uh, you know, after my workout, get a shower in, have some coffee, and then, um, I'll, I'll try and knock out while I'm really sharp, I will try to knock out some deep work in the morning. And this will be, you know, if possible, avoiding calls and um, kind of pushing those into the afternoon. And I'll just focus on whether it's writing memos or doing some strategic thinking or, you know, digging through candidates for hiring, which are all kind of front of mind right now. Uh, Just getting that out of the way while while my brain is still operating at peak capacity and then um, shifting in the the latter half of the day to, um, you know, the, the more sort of manager schedule. So calls and, um, knocking out any sort of, um, tasks that I can turn through quickly and getting to emails and such and stuff like that. So I try to compartmentalize my day in in that way. And, you know, I, 
I'll admit, you know, my days are pretty dominated by work right now. I, I really enjoy it. It's not something that is super draining. And of course, the the environment is <laughs> being at home, I think is <laughs> really a huge adjustment from SpaceX. You know, I've got the benefits of being able to go on a walk outside, um, you know, on calls and I'm not, you know, sort of in a, <laughs> in a manufacturing environment, uh, basically turning wrenches and such. So it's a very different <laughs> environment. I'm, I'm really benefiting from it. I can feel it in the, you know, the quality of my, um, the quality of my days and, and in the stress levels and my ability to, I think, manage my schedule predictively rather than always reactively. And on that note, just to go a little bit deeper, uh, do you have a set time that you try to get to bed and wake up each day on, on that note as well? And uh, do you have a set time around stopping work as well? I'd be curious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I wish I, I could say that I had a set stopping time. I, I really don't. You know, I find myself doing email these days kind of right up until the the end of the day. And um, you know, that's just kind of one of the things I'm, I'm getting better at adjusting to. So my, my email volume skills are going up. I'm ability, I'm, I'm able to triage much faster. <laughs> so I'm getting to the point where I think I'm gonna be able to like pull that back further away from, from the bedtime. But, um, generally I, I try to be shut down and, and asleep by around 11 o'clock. And so I'll be, I'll be up at around seven and working out. And that's, that's kind of like those two, I consider those my thresholds. I, I, I feel much more on top of my day if I can be up, um, you know, in the 6am hour or, or even earlier. I really love the morning. It's my, you know, it's to me, it's the most peaceful time of the day. And it's very centering for me to have that extra time before, you know, kind of the, the flood of the, of events starts up. So, um, that of course requires a phase shift in my, in my bedtime. And that of course <laughs> requires me to be able to tackle email faster. So <laughs> it's kind of a, it's, it's an ongoing process. And I'm, you know, I, I really, my, my goals are to phase shift to a, a more, an earlier day, um, starting earlier, shutting down earlier and, um, being more effective overall. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we, we're all, um, every day is a, is a, a challenge, right? We all got to learn and, and then iterate. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said though, for that, that shift to early and people who know me are going to start laughing already of like how early I wake up, but, but it's all around like more, if you have the same hours in the day, regardless, and if you can just shift, you know, one or two from the evening to the morning, typically those are more hours there are, are uninterrupted then. Um, and so I, I found that that's why I've, I've done that for a number of years now is because of that exact point where it's like, I get the most important things done uh, before every, any, any pinging comes in because no one's emailing me at that hour, you know, super early, nothing's really happening, but you have that peacefulness to really get quality work done. And you mentioned, you just briefly mentioned deep work. And if you've read Cal Newport's book, deep work, um, you know, creating those hours and hours of pockets of time to be able to do some of the best things uh, or most important things you need to do is, is important. And I think by shifting the schedule, it kind of allows you to do that a bit, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting on that. And on the, just because I, again, my exercise sports science background, what does the working out schedule consist of? And like, what are some of those activities? I'd be curious. Yeah. So I'm a CrossFit level two trainer. Um, it's something I, I really love, but recently I have been moving more and more to uh, well, <laughs> I feel a little bit silly, but to endurance training. So I'm, I, my endurance <laughs> is really, really not on, uh, you know, on par these days, but <laughs> it's a focus for me right now because it has some really interesting overlap with the subject matter of metabolic fitness. So yeah. my goals are to train for longer duration events. Um, you know, my, my stretch goal is to complete an Ironman race, but, Whoa. um, the, the real focus is to improve metabolic flexibility, which is the ability for your body to switch between fuel sources, uh, effortlessly. Um, so there's this concept, which we, I think we briefly touched on, which is like bonking where you, you run out of your stored glycogen, which is your stored sugar. And, um, people who maybe do a lot of running might've experienced this. So maybe 90 minutes into a long run, you just suddenly crash. And, and this is actually your body running out of sugar, your blood sugar starts to plummet and you experience all the symptoms of hypoglycemia, uh, which is not what you want right in the middle of a race. So metabolic flexibility is essentially teaching the body to adapt to both, um, incoming food. So calories that you're consuming or stored energy that goes beyond glycogen, which includes your fat stores. Um, and the ability to switch between burning sugar and burning fat is kind of a trained experience. It, it requires a lot of hormonal adjustment in the body to make that easy and straightforward. Um, and so I, I'm currently doing a lot of, like I said, morning workouts, but doing them fasted 
so that, um, you know, I haven't eaten since dinner the, the night before. And typically this will be at least 12 hours. And, um, in some cases I will, I'll do even afternoon, you know, I'll extend my fast into the afternoon and work out around then on an extended duration. And the goal here is to force my body to deplete all of the glycogen that I have stored and then switch into fat burning mode. And to put some numbers on this, the average person has about 2000 calories of glucose available as stored glycogen. And you have about 80,000 calories of fat available. So if you can teach your body to switch <laughs> into this fat oxidation mode effectively without crashing, um, you can really have quite a bit more endurance. And, and so it's something I'm, I'm trying to learn. And, and of course, you know, <laughs> I oftentimes bonk, <laughs> I run into that wall, I mistime it, I, I miss fuel, so on and so forth, but I am experiencing some really amazing benefits. And there's other folks on the team, um, my, my, uh, the head of customer success, Mike is, is one who, you know, he just completed a fasted, uh, marathon. So fasted for 18 hours and then ran 26.2 miles without consuming a calorie and yeah. his blood sugar was rock solid and he felt great, had great energy, great pace. And that's the type of thing that, you know, th this is the whole point is like, in, that's, that's closer to optimal. And, um, and so that's my current focus with exercise. That's fascinating. You're you're doing that. I've kind of been doing the same on accident. Uh, I think I just at one point didn't have as many weights around, especially now during the pandemic set, you know, don't have mm -hmm. the gym the same. And so, but I look at, I've somehow gotten into more endurance training and more so the most being half marathons, but I look back at the ones I've all done in the last number of months and they've all been fasted. Mm. Um, it's always typically I'll do it in the morning and yeah, I don't have any food at all before a half marathon. And, um, those are when I perform the best and actually feel really good during those, even, uh, my mm -hmm. you know, personal best of it, uh, that was fasted as well. I'm looking back on that thinking of which ones, yeah, they were all fasted. Um, it's kind of fascinating to learn more about that than like the numbers behind it as well and see yeah. what the glucose numbers would be, would be, would be interesting. It also reminds me of, uh, I think, I think you should talk to the guys from, from beam. I don't know if you've heard of beam C CBD. Mm. Um, I haven't. yeah, they, they just, I think they just raised like, I want to say 5 million, uh, so far, but I want to say they're, eventually raise series a but uh they do is like endurance essentially both of them i'm pretty sure both of them are doing endurance training as well and then obviously they're using cbd as a most for performance and and recovery and everything but they're both former athletes former mm. professional athletes um yeah so just an interesting uh yeah. people to talk to potentially but um where can people go to learn more about all things you're working on and connect with you as well josh so i definitely recommend going to levelshealth.com and checking out our blog that's that's one of you know, it's likely the best location to understand more about metabolism, understand specifically what we're building at levels and how it, it may affect, you know, your specific goals. Um, you can also follow along with, with ourselves on the team and then also our, our, our beta users on, on levels, Twitter and Instagram, which is just at levels is the handle there. So, um, you know, reach out to us through those, those channels. We're always excited to engage and, and share more about the beta program availability. And, uh, and of course all the content we're producing and, uh, and feedback on that is really powerful for us. Awesome. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks so much, Justin. This was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.